Zimbabwe is independent because its people are independent and its people must remain independent forever. And therefore, Zimbabwe shall never be a colony again. We don't mind having and bearing sanctions banning us from Europe. We are not Europeans. We have not asked for any inch of Europe or any square inch of that territory. So, Blair, keep your England and let me keep my Zimbabwe. We can't learn rule of law from the British because they never introduced it here. We introduced it. That's what I'm telling you. They cannot be our teachers of democracy because we introduced democracy in this country. There was never any democracy here. No law and order here. No peace, no fight, no security. We don't need a Mr. Blair or Mr. Robin Cook to tell us when to hold our election. We know when to hold them. It's a black man's land, and therefore the black man must have the right to determine who shall have it and who shall not. Not their money. They can keep their money. We want our land, and from our land we'll get money. I say, a baby for Hodie, this is the African Liberation Media Podcast. And I'm your brother Amos here tonight with Baba Makaru. And that clip that you just heard was an excerpt from different speeches of our great ancestor, Robert Gabriel Mugabe, who recently transitioned in Zimbabwe. Strong African liberator, strong African leader, strong words spoken, truth spoken to power. We got a lot to cover tonight, a lot that's been going on across the world, not only here in the United States of America, but also, of course, on the African continent. And one of the things that we want to start with is what's happening in South Africa. There's a lot of xenophobia, as we discussed on the previous program, where Africans who are residing in South Africa are being treated and called foreigners. <laughs> and there's violence that has sprung up to the point where Nigerians have had to flee the country in order to, to stay safe. <laughs> this is something that we shouldn't have to deal with. And it's really sad that that aggression can't be put towards our real true enemies. That fight can be put towards the people who have been oppressing us for thousands of years now. Instead, we turn that violence against our own brothers, similar to how we turn that violence towards each other here, you know, in the streets of the United States of America and in other places throughout the diaspora. This is where we have to be united. If we're gonna be united in any case, it's gotta be a unification against our enemies, the people who really want to commit genocide on us. So there's no room for that, but we're gonna cover it in detail. And we're also gonna talk about a few other topics 
that are relating to police brutality right here in the United States of America, as always, what we're continuing, continually having to deal with. And also a situation that's happening in Kenya with the new malaria vaccine that's been introduced into the vaccination pool mm. for Africans on the continent there. So, Bob and Mark Roo, tell us about what's going on down here in South Africa. Uh, we know that there's also a lot going on, you know, with the president and the political situation. We're not going to really get into that. But just talk about this situation between people who should be considering themselves one racial group casting each other out as foreigners because of different ethnicities or different uh, geographical locations of where they come from. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really quite quite sad to, to see the situation. First, first of all, we just have, we have too many displaced people all across the African continent. Now, you know, a lot of people are displaced because, you know, there are wars that that have been going on for years, conflicts, a lot of it grounded in, in colonialism um, as a result of the the European domination of the uh, of the continent beginning really with the chattel slavery uh, and intensifying after the Berlin Conference, where these Europeans sit down and divided our our motherland up into these uh, what Professor Emma Debrary calls fictitious states, our people are in, internally displaced in Somalia, in in Sudan, South Sudan. Uh, many people have fled, you know, those countries for countries like Kenya. Rwanda has a huge number of of refugees, you know, from the Congo and other places. They're just, it's just uh, the Central African Republic is in turmoil. Cameroon is in turmoil. Togo has a dictator that's been in place for, for decades that refuses to leave and uh, we just have um, just one thing after another but the situation in in the land that the Africans call Azania known across the world as South Africa uh, there was there has been an eruption of of violence uh, that's really driven by economics because the fact of the matter is apartheid never died particularly economically. We had black faces replace white faces in terms of the reins of government, but in terms of the means of production and the land, as our esteemed ancestor, recent ancestor, Brother Mugabe was saying, if you, if you control the land, then you can benefit your people economically. So, South Africa has failed to address this. I mean, and the country, in my opinion, is actually a powder keg waiting, just just waiting to explode. But the explosion uh, that uh, that we thought was coming, perhaps when uh, the the uh, ANC decided that it would finally honor its charter, which called for 
taking back the land that was initially stolen uh, by these people from Europe. Uh, you know, we thought that they would begin to implement that process. But uh, the, the huge, the massive unemployment rates, massive amounts of crime, black-on-black -black violence, has now turned on people that have moved to Azania from other parts of Africa, uh, from Mozambique, from, from Zimbabwe, from Kenya, uh, from Nigeria, from Ghana. A, a lot of people have moved to South Africa. South Africa was regarded as the economic engine of, of Africa coming out of, uh, quote-unquote, when, when the government changed hands and Nelson Mandela was installed as president, and uh, they came up with this idea of the rainbow nation that uh, was supposed to be a multiracial democracy, which was more of a pipe dream or a fantasy than anything. But a lot of people moved there because they, 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 they saw economic opportunities. And people have opened various types of businesses, car dealerships, uh, uh, you know, clothing stores, manufacturing companies, all types of businesses and they hire people from Azania to work in these businesses. I saw one brother had a uh, he had a car repair shop, and he said that he and his partner were the only Nigerians in the store. All of the mechanics that he employed were from South Africa, were natives of Azania, and so in attacking these businesses, they're they, they're actually destroying. Uh, uh, the economic livelihood of their own brothers and sisters. I mean, not just the, the fact that they're taking they're taking away you know uh, businesses from other black people. When we we see businesses in South Africa being run by Indians, Chinese people from the United Kingdom, the Netherlands, Arabs, everybody. Right. But they but they are attacking, I guess, what you would call the low hanging fruit, the people that uh, in, in a lot of instances, if you listen to the business owners, the police are not motivated to protect. But harm one hair on the head of one of these uh, Guptas or, or Oppenheimers and see what happens. <laughs> they remove you just like they did at, at, at the at the Maracana mine when the, when the brothers went on strike. South African government didn't hesitate to send the police out to shoot these brothers down. They were protesting because they wanted better wages. We did, they didn't hesitate. But, you know, I mean, I'm not saying I don't want the police just gunning people down because they are hungry and, and they don't have jobs. But at the same time, you have to have some. You can't do anything with, without order. And justice has to be equal for all. So, uh, you know, I was reading a story about this uh, brother uh, from Nigeria named uh, Alan Onyema. And uh, he is the chairman, the CEO of Air Peace Airline. So this, this is a brother that came from very, very, very humble uh, beginnings in, uh, in Nigeria. And, and he, got in, he got involved as a young man. Uh, he got his uh, education, got got a law degree, married married a, a beautiful black woman, African woman, and 
he got involved in a lot of peace initiatives because they, because there are ethnic conflicts right in in Nigeria, you know, between, say, uh, people who really are the same people in a lot of instances because they've had so much intermarriage for Lonnie's. Uh, the brother Trigg uh, was talking about, you know, being a descendant of the Fulanis and the houses. Uh, of course, we know there was a war, civil war there, uh, you know, in uh, Biafra with the, uh, where, you know, uh, tens of thousands of the Igbo people were, were killed. And so th this brother dedicated a lot of his life to uh, to to solving these conflicts. Uh, just just another example of just an outstanding African citizen. Uh, he was so poor that he said that uh, he was a squatter. He couldn't afford taxes or buses. Uh, he would go to Lagos Island by rail. You know, going back, you know, he would uh, he would simply, uh, you know, just find somewhere to lay down and sleep. And uh, from those beginnings, you know, so kind of reminds me here of Booger T. Washington walking from uh, what what's now West Virginia. Uh, Sleeping under, you know, they they had they used to have uh, in a lot of these towns uh, during this time uh, the elevated uh, sidewalks. They were wooden planks. He would sleep under these wooden planks as he as he walked from town to town to try to reach Hampton, Virginia. He would sleep under uh, planks in places like Richmond, for example. And uh, you know, and then he finally made it there. They said he said he was so filthy that he didn't think they would accept him because how dirty he was but look at look at look at what this brother was able to do with you know found in the Tuskegee Institute now Tuskegee University in Macon County Alabama and uh this brother uh reminds me of that because he was he was essentially homeless and so he started this airline and he named the airline Air Peace Air Peace because what what he wants more than anything is peace on the continent of Africa and Lord knows we need peace on the continent of Africa, but we also know there's no peace without power. In the long history of ancient Kemet, every year wasn't peace, but the majority of the years, I think Brother Amos would agree, the Africans were able to live in peace. We were free, proud, productive, prosperous, and peaceful people. Uh, we were invaded, we defended ourselves, and you know we kicked the invaders out for years, but that's why the greeting word was hotel. It means peace, which a lot of uh, people now, Negroes, make fun of, of that sacred word. So this brother wants peace, you know, air peace. It could be named air hotel, right? And so what he decided to do was to spend his own money to send his airplanes to South Africa to evacuate uh, his brothers and sisters from Nigeria. Now, the, the, the think about how absurd this is, that Africans have to flee an African country almost. Mm -hmm. Africans have to flee an African country because they are being attacked simply because they are from a maybe a European-created country, but they are from a different ethnic group. They may be Yoruba, Hausa, Igbo, or whatever, Fulani. You know, they're not Zosia or Korkoi or Zulu. So, I mean, but they're African. I mean, that's the thing. That's the beauty of what Nama did in ancient Kemet. 
all of these ethnic groups merged into one people. That's why I, I always tell people this is the model for us to emulate today, right now. The normal model is the model for the entire African continent to emulate. But I mean, it's just it's great that 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 you have a brother like this who uh, was willing to spend his own money. And I don't know how much money it cost him. He sent, uh, he's been sending his uh, seven, seven, say his triple seven Dreamliner down there. Uh, the first wave evacuated 187 people. I think maybe now up to 600 people have left. I don't know how many of those people he has, he has gotten out of there. But, man, we got, come on. I mean, what are we doing? We just... Oh, my goodness, just continuously playing into the hands of our enemies and our enemies are walking around free. Even, I mean, the the killers, people who killed our people, killed Stephen Biko. I mean, walking around free and here we are, you know, attacking and, uh, and you know, and, and they wanted uh, the honorable sister Winnie Mandela to apologize. Mm for dealing with some some traitors. Not that she dealt with them personally, but people around her recognized there were some people that were traitors in that, you know, look, you've been sent by the enemy to spy on us, so we're not going out like Fred Hampton, okay? I mean, that's just the reality. Mm-hmm. We Listen, African people have been dying acutely, acutely since 1492. Okay, now we're not going to go back to the Greeks, the Romans, all of that. Uh, the unfortunate Moorish invasion of the Iberian Peninsula and the subsequent you know, war on the Songhai Empire when they got kicked out, uh, joined Morocco to fight uh, Songhai. But acutely for the past 500 years, and we have died in so many waves of genocide that, I, that African death is just accepted. It's just, it's, it's just, a lot of us are just desensitized to it, to the point that we even engage in it ourselves. Mm-hmm. But the African doesn't always have to die. Our lives are valuable. And this is, this is the point that, that, that we need to make, that we need to, this is the consciousness that we need to come into, you know, as a people. And we got to stop all of this internecine conflict because the country is filthy rich. It's filthy rich. Take the land, seize the control, seize the means of production, seize the banks, put your people to work. Get these Europeans and others out of there. You know, if they can't deal, if they can't be just, which we haven't seen any any examples of that. Right. So, hey, come on now. Come on, people. We got to do better. One of the things that they're making a counter argument uh, from South Africa with is that a lot of the xenophobia attacks that you're seeing as far as videos, pictures on social media that are circulating, they're saying that some of this is fake news. Okay. So they're trying to use the same uh, (laughs) propaganda that really started with uh, Barack Obama. If you go back to to right after the 2016 election, Mm -hmm. he started that uh, he coined that phrase, uh, fake news. Fake news. Which the media ran with over here. Right. 
Uh, but they're saying that, you know, the, the attacks that happened in South Africa, some of the images were, you know, videos that actually happened in other countries. Uh, like this one uh, brother is saying that one of the videos was actually a video from uh, Surat in India. Uh, where it was a picture, it was a video, I guess, of a burning building, people jumping out of a burning building. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's important, you know, for us to always fact check, but we can clearly see that there is a problem. Yeah, it, I mean, when you have when you have the South African Broadcasting Company, <laughs> SABC, ECNA, other African news outlets on the spot, mm-hmm. on the spot, right? I mean, right... There, we're talking to uh, brothers from Mozambique or from Nigeria, from Kenya or wherever. And, you know, so, of course, in, in, in this world, they, a, a lot of people are in, 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 in the game of manipulating information. Okay. I think that's one of the most devastating things that's taking place right now. But, you know, we, we have, you, you have, actual evidence you know from from as as the events are unfolding you know by uh you know the african uh news outlet so right i understand that and of course i mean yeah your source of news should never be just social media just like your source of news should never just be the mainstream media right so you have to know how to balance it out do your own research but from the research that we've done, there is xenophobia taking place. There are brothers and sisters that are being attacked in South Africa. So, you know, this is a problem that we report on here at African Liberation Media. Our goal is to promote the African against the European. Exactly. I mean, that's, uh, you know, our our objective, our objective was to uh provide you know in 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 the spirit of of our truth tellers right the the the, the martin the martin delaney's and the Ida wells barnett who was a, a media specialist marcus mosiah garvey a media specialist right um malcolm x the founder of muhammad speaks newspaper right um so uh Amos Wilson, you know, Marimba Arne. I mean, that, so, you know, our, our objective is to provide countervailing views and values to what you would get from other sources. That I mean, that's why we, we, we don't publish a lot of stuff. I mean, we may talk occasionally about things that are going on because, you know, when entertainers are doing things that, 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 that impact, you know, our struggle, you know, we have to identify it, but, you know, we're not all down in the gutter with them. But, uh, you know, that's, you know, that that's one of the things that motivated us. And, and the, the, the thing that, that we strive for is to make sure that the information that we're presenting is presented from the perspective of enhancing the struggle for the liberation and empowerment of African people. Because let's face it, if acutely, our problem is that we once walked this earth as free, proud, productive, prosperous, and powerful people, and we did this 
if you just start with now with the Nile Valley civilizations and go all the way through the empires of the Western Sudan, that's you're talking about over five thousand years alone, okay? But acutely in the last five hundred years, we have been disempowered by barbaric and sophisticated systems of white supremacy. Disempowered. So whereas we once controlled our land, meaning we controlled our resources, meaning we were able to determine our own destiny. You know, a series of events began to happen. Uh, I would say one of the key events was the Portuguese defeated the Moors in 1415 at Serta. I heard Dr. Clark speak, John Henry Clark speak at an ASCAT conference in uh, early 1990s. And Dr. Clark was saying this is one of the one of the most important military battles in history and 99 percent of the african world have never heard of it i'm sitting there i'm one of the 99 <laughs> percent he said certa i said what is that and so he went on to explain you know what happened at that battle and how critical that battle was uh prince henry the navigator and the portuguese defeating the moors which then gave them um a free run at both the mediterranean and the west coast of Africa, and then we saw in 1441 uh, Prince Henry's sailors, you know, taking the first uh, enslaved Africans uh, from the region of West Africa back to Europe, who they gave to the Pope, Pope Martin V. And, uh, of course, you know, being the holy person he was, he accepted these human beings as his property. So for the past 500 years, you know, we've been dealing with this and, you know, we simply, we, we, we got, it's not simple because it, actually it's, it's very complex. It's, the issue is very complex to deal with because, you know, we have 500 years of, of being in, uh, infected with and influenced by uh, uh, the, the impact of white supremacy and, and being disempowered. So, you know, this is this is where our struggle is. But 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 you're right, brother. Almost. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I, I have I have spent I haven't been able to put out a lot of information this week because I spent a lot of time defending. Our comrade Robert Gabriel Muhammad, <laughs> Robert, Robert Gabriel Mugabe, I keep thinking about my brother Robert Muhammad because we were involved in the Million Man March and a lot of things. But Robert Robert Mugabe, uh, Robert Muhammad, if you're listening, I'm thinking about you also. But. Um, from various attacks, and it's caused. I, I've had to do a lot of research, and what and what I find is a lot of people will will take one strand of information, brother. Almost they may take uh, a meme that they saw on Facebook, and they'll take that and then they'll run with it as if it's actual facts. And nobody, a lot of people, I shouldn't say nobody, a lot of people won't bother to cross-reference the information. Mm-hmm. See, we have, we, we have to be about the serious business of cross-referencing information. This may be one of the reasons why they took critical thinking skills out of school. They just want, they wanted people to just uh, pass classes based on rote memorization versus actual critical thinking because you, because you, you, you have to do research and you just can't rely on one source. You, you look for corroborating evidence. 
to see to see how the information is being presented stacks up. And so I've had to do a lot of research this week. And I mean, I've done a lot of research, uh, particularly uh, the events uh, that happened in, in Zimbabwe between, say, 1980 and 1984. And a lot of these people are supposed to be conscious people, and they're attacking uh, Brother Mugabe uh, for the way he had to try to, you know, raise this nation. You know, they gave birth to a new nation in 1980, Zimbabwe, right? It was many, many, many years removed from the old Zimbabwe, because of Cecil Rhodes and 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 the, and the British and 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 the formation of the quote unquote country of Rhodesia, which then became Northern Rhodesia and Southern Rhodesia. Northern Rhodesia became Zambia, and Southern Rhodesia uh, broke away. They declared unilateral independence from from Great Britain and became a white supremacist enclave. And uh, just the the, the series of events that he had to deal with in the early formation, particularly uh, when he, there were people who were trying to undermine him, both internal to Zimbabwe and external, you know, particularly the apartheid government of South Africa. So I spent a lot of time, but, I, you know, I would just encourage our listeners to be, to be critical thinkers and to cross-reference everything. Cross-reference what we're saying here. Cross I, I heard Kwame Therese say one, give a speech one time, and he said, you know, don't accept it just because I'm saying it. Do your own research and then validate it or invalidate it. So, I mean, that, that's, that's, what, that's, what we have, that's what we have to be about. And, uh, but I'm going to tell you, this, this, this fake news thing has is, <laughs> is become a growth industry. Mm-hmm. And it's leading a lot of people, man, down a path to slaughter well that's one of the effects of social media um is that people want to have the bragging rights of posting something first or reposting something and sharing something something that they feel is exciting or exhilarating information without actually taking the time to actually some people don't even read the articles that they actually post they'll see a title of an article and post it without having to actually read the entire article. <laughs> so sometimes at the bottom of the, the page, it'll say this is a satire site. Exactly. So, I mean, that instance of fake information spreading is a serious problem. We want to move to some news that came out this week, actually five hours ago, in Kenya. According to African News, Kenya has added the world's first malaria vaccine Mm. to routine immunization for children under two years. So the vaccine was launched in the western county of Homa Bay. And this makes the East African nation the third country in Africa to roll out the vaccine for malaria. So I guess the other countries have malaria vaccines, but not for children that are under two years of age. So I'm looking at this this particular article on africanews.com and the, the the first picture that they show here is a picture of a white male giving a vaccine to a young black child a black boy as he's sitting on his mother's lap 
and all of these other black women and black men are standing around looking down at this white male administer this vaccine to the child. <laughs> a lot of things are wrong with this picture. Mm. When we talk about Europeans, instinctively, they have been genocide experts mm-hmm. with everything that they come across, not just people. Exactly. Animals. <laughs> Animals. Right now, also in Kenya, they're having to actually go and create embryos of the rhinos mm-hmm. because of the amount of rhinos that have been killed. Exactly. They're just about extinct. Just about extinct from the, the amount of European hunters that have come into the country paying money to the government. Right. Who allow these people to go out and hunt these rhinos. And it's also not just Europeans, but it's a really big Asian market for the rhino horn. horn. Mm-hmm. They create, you know, all of these different, you know, medicines and uh, extracts and all these different products that they sell because they say it's a nutritional benefit. Right, right. So these people practice genocide on a daily basis. Mm. And they've there have been countless examples that we've been given. If you read books like Medical Apartheid, mm-hmm. written by Harriet Washington, right, who breaks down a lot of the evil practices that Europeans perform in hospitals, mm-hmm. uh, in the area of gynecology, different experiments that they've done on our people, and not just on our people, but other people all around the world mm-hmm. um, who've experienced this too. So you have to be very, very, very weary when you see that this vaccine is being administered by whites. Why not test this vaccine on white children first? And even if they did that, I still wouldn't trust that it would be the same vaccine that they're testing on the white children that's going to be administered to our people on the continent. Now, if this is a success and this you know, saves the lives. We know that malaria is a very detrimental disease on the continent. You're talking about nearly 200 million people who get affected by this disease uh, yearly. So if this is something that actually does stop people from catching malaria or dying from malaria, then it could be a positive thing. But you have to raise your eyebrows when you see that it's being developed and administered by European doctors and scientists. This is something that we should be developing ourselves, just like the African doctor in the Congo who developed the treatment for Ebola. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that involves self-control is also being able to take care of yourself, not depending on other nations or other people, because then you lower the risk of something bad happening. And with the history that we have with Europeans, we shouldn't trust them anywhere near us when you talk about vaccines, medicines, that they're not actually testing on themselves first or administering um, without some type of agenda that's attached to it. 
Exactly, because we, you know, of course, the one of the most famous would be the uh, Tuskegee experiment where they, uh, you know, allowed the brothers uh, that were, uh, had been infected uh, by, by uh, syphilis to, to go untreated. Uh, but I, I remember may have been sometime during the 1980s. Can't remember the exact date now. I remember reading this article that said, Who Killed Africa? And I said, What? Who Killed Africa? And then when I started reading it, the who stood for the World Health Organization. Hmm. And what the article was about was the sudden appearance of the HIV, uh, the AIDS virus in Africa mm -hmm. after there was a, uh, and was it malaria or I can't remember what, what they, 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 there was a vaccine. It was a vaccine that, uh, that some, that someone had created. I'd have to go back and find the article, but the title of the article, if people want to look it up, is called Who Killed Africa? And what the there was a, uh, a, a scientist, uh, he, he might have been an epidemiologist, he was suggesting that this, uh, the virus had been created in a lab in the United States, and it was, it, and it was, Transported to Africa, it was put in this vaccine. I can't remember. I can't remember which vaccine it was now. Uh, and suddenly, disease, the disease started appearing. And uh, this 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 guy, you know, I mean, we not we not we don't get into a lot of wild uh, uh, conspiracy theories, but sometimes when conspiracy theories are halfway believable because you know the history of the people <laughs> that are involved. And um, what, uh, what the, uh, the author of the article was saying was that the purpose of it was population control. Mm -hmm. We're going to control the, the population of Africa by spreading this disease for which there was no cure. And it wasn't intended for it to reach Europe or the United States but what they didn't account for was the fact that European homosexuals travel regularly to Africa and pay African male prostitutes to uh, you know engage in uh, you know act, sexual acts with them and that's how it got transported back uh, to the United States. In fact, there's this guy that they call Patient Zero. He was uh, he was an airline attendant. That he flew regularly from uh, the United States and Canada to France, and uh, you know he was a homosexual, and so they 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 called him Patient Zero because they said that 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 he was responsible for the for the initial spread. 
uh, of the uh, virus in, in, in many of the uh, homosexual communities in, in San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York, where, wherever this guy went. And they, they weren't calling it AIDS then or they were, they were calling it some kind of a, I think they might have been calling it GRID, gay-related immune disease or something to that effect. They didn't, they didn't know. Uh, they really hadn't done all the research. But um, according to uh, this story about patient zero, I think his last name was Dugas. Uh, he might have been an Air Canada flight attendant. But uh, that's how I got back to Europe and the United States. But according to um, according to the author, and I cannot remember the author's name. Like I said, this was back in the 80s, 1980s or early 90s. Um, the disease was, he theorized that the disease was created in uh, the U.S. Uh, chemical warfare lab in Fort Detrick, Maryland. So, as uh, as Brother Almost said, we have every right to be suspicious. To be suspicious, you know. I read an article uh, a couple of weeks ago that said the mosquito has been the most deadly animal in history. It's responsible for the deaths of more more human beings than any any other animal. And I mean it's. It's something to think about when you consider how small a mosquito is. But, uh, you know, largely as a result of malaria in the tropics, um, this disease, you know, has, uh, has, has caused, uh, he, the, the article quoted the number of deaths, more, more deaths than any other animal on the planet. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we know that uh, the reason why the, um, why as a result of, malaria and uh the 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 human body at, attempted to fight it off by sickling the cells and uh you know this a lot of uh people of african descent in the united states either have the sickle cell trait or sickle cell disease the sickle cell was designed to uh, fight malaria it was the it was the body's natural reaction the, the body will fight anything Cancer, whatever. The body will fight anything. It will put forth effort to fight anything. The only disease that, that, that's, been, that's been known so far that the body doesn't have the capability to fight is uh, HIV. Ebola may be the same way. I'm not sure. Ebola is a strange disease, how it appears and disappears and appears and disappears. Very strange. Now, I would say yellow fever, too. Yellow fever? Yeah, that's a 99% fatality. Okay. But... You're exactly right. Uh, the grid um, was used early in the 80s. Mm -hmm. um, Gay-related immune deficiency. Okay. Yeah, and then they they tried they tried to uh, quickly convert it over to AIDS. Mm -hmm. But um, if you go even back before that, you talk about genocide. Henry Kissinger who's responsible for the National Security Memorandum 200, talked about studying countries where they wanted to reduce the populations mm -hmm. of these countries. This is 1974. Okay. Where they went around and they were trying to first do it through 
starving the people out through um, restricting food, access to food in various countries that they thought were overpopulated. Okay. And one of the continents that they primarily focused on was the African continent. Absolutely. So this has been in the works. And then all of a sudden on the scene in the 80s, you get uh, HIV, AIDS, now spreading throughout, you know, the African continent. Yeah, in in on a continent where the number of people that engaged in same-sex activity was just minuscule, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you, you couldn't hardly even you know measure it on a on on a chart. But yet, in Africa, it became a heterosexual spread of disease immediately. You know, right from the get go, as opposed to you know, what happened in Europe and the United States. And that's one of the things that really should bother a lot of people around the world is that not only do Europeans kill you, they document in government documents how they want to undermine, just like COINTELPRO. That was documented. Mm -hmm. National Security Memorandum 200. That was documented in government documents about how they wanted to commit genocide. Well, you remember Wesley Clark saying, you know, when he was running for president, that the guy came down and told him that uh, they were going to invade seven countries. Right. You remember that? Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, at that point, you know, they had only invaded uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. But he named them all off. He named them all. And, and it, every it, one of those countries has been invaded. Has been invaded. Yeah. Every one of them. So it's all look, the European mind doesn't doesn't function off of creativity. Everything that they do, because they don't really have a creative spirit or a spirit or rhythm, everything they do is structured and fragmented and documented. That's how they function. They can't function without having a plan. Right. That's that's why um in the corporations that they run, they don't want to rely on one person having all of the knowledge they want to get everything documented so that they can move anybody that they want in and out of those jobs and then once they have everything documented they can pay you less because they don't have to depend on your brain actually working right but that's but that's how they operate their government so a lot of the things that we see happen later are things that they plotted out years earlier right and then they take place Mm-hmm. Just, it's just like the war on drugs all these things were either spoken about or written down discussed and by the time that you hear about it yeah that means that they were meeting and planning about it 10 years earlier a decade earlier yeah i mean just like the uh you know only in within the last what maybe two or three years we got the uh the conversation between john ehrlichman and Richard Nixon, when they talked about how they were they were going to target, uh, you know, they said the Negroes mm-hmm. and the hippies mm-hmm. with 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 the with, with the war on drugs. And see, and see, that in itself is that's a brilliant strategy. Now, one thing we have to learn how to do is, a lot of us we want to just reject everything um, as it relates to the European because, you know, of what they've done to us. 
But sometimes you have to, especially in, in when you're in a war, you have to really study your opponent and know how to use, take their strengths and make their strengths into your strengths. Mm-hmm. This documentation is not something that they created because in ancient Kemet, we documented everything. Right, right. They're even, you know. We were, the, we were the originators of documentation. Right. So they're just doing something that we did and we were able to successfully run nations for thousands of years operating this way. Whereas now, a lot of our documentation is, is too late. It's not really planning. We like to come out and speak about it first instead of planning it out. And then by the time we speak about it, it should already be in action. Exactly. Or it should have already took, taken place. Mm-hmm. So we, we have to get back into that mindset of meeting, organizing. Yeah, being proactive because, you know, I'd say, you know, particularly for the, for the, for the past 50 years, I mean, we've been in constant reaction mode. Right. We're in constant reaction mode, you know, you know, Europeans do what they do. State sponsored violence. Right. They do what they do. Um, you know, the expansion of the welfare state, how they systematically began to undermine the black family because the strong black family was was the greatest threat. <laughs> they they never really said this. But if you look at their actions, the, the way they went, they, the way they went about it. You know, removing uh, the jobs from um, from the urban centers, you know, where black men were had been employed. Uh, you know, th- this this was a clear plan. This this was a this was a clear plan, and it's it's all it's all about maintaining power. You know, absolute control because of of the of the fear that they have that. And empowered African people, you know, would would, you know, would pose to them, and so I mean that this 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 is what they've been doing. I mean it, it it's, and it's where you have to get smart and you have to get serious. Yeah, and you can't run. You can't be running around on emotions. Right, because when you plan and organize, you're going to be more effective. You're not going to be reactionary, and use an emotion to try to win a battle. When you plan and you organize, you're prepared for situations that are going to take place. And you're on the offense side versus the defensive side, which is we should be strategically organizing our offensive way of getting ourselves to our goal of liberation. We know what the problem is. How do you weaken a people that have more power than you. Well, when you have the land, the first thing is like Robin Mugabe said, we have to take the land back. Got to take the land. Got to, got to, got to control the land. And you got, you, you got to have leaders like, you know, Thomas Sankara who operate in the interests of the masses of the people. Right. Because, you know, we've had these quote unquote black governments in the Congo you know, er, ever since, uh, you know, Patrice Lumumba was elected and, you know, uh, very quickly overthrown and then assassinated. And those governments are feeding. They're just feeding the predator. So they're, they're continually allowing the predator to come in and pray instead of 
cutting off those resources. If you cut off those resources, then that starts to weaken the economy here. A lot of the corporations will fall. The military will become weaker. So people will say, well, how do you how do you take back the land if they can overpower us? Well, if you know that that's what they can do, then you start to train. You start to train and prepare yourself to be be able to defend yourself. Yeah. Let me let me say one other thing, uh, Brother Almost, because I know we're running short on time. And one other thing is this. Uh, the 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 planning, the planning should also uh not only involve, you know, us operation operating organizationally, but personally in our lives. Given the environment in this country right now where you see so many crazy things happening, you know, somebody turning their back on, you know, guy walks up behind a brother in the store, stabs him in the back. Everybody should have worked out in their mind certain scenarios anticipating, well, what happens? What happens? I just give one example. What happens if I walk out the store and this white man is arguing with my wife about a parking space? Okay. How do I react to that? Now, if the white man is assaulting your wife or your daughter, your mother, your sister, or whoever, then you neutralize him. Okay, and neutralizing just just means that uh, you you uh, you make sure that they don't have the capacity to harm you. That doesn't mean you you you're going around committing murder, but it but but you have to, you have to reduce their capacity or immobilize their capacity to harm you. But but you need to think. Okay, how do I handle that situation? You know, how how do I handle various situations where these people are just ranting and raving like the brother up here in Winston-Salem? He gets in an argument with the white man in, in a bar. He walks out the store, walks out of the bar, and then the white man shoots him in the parking lot. So we need to have these scenarios. The first thing we need to think about is that most likely they are always armed. Mm-hmm. So you you need to have you see you, we need we, we need to plan our survival Right. Because we can't liberate and empower ourselves if we can't survive. So everybody, everybody should just have in mind what happens if I walk into a grocery store and there's a gunman. Shoot. What do I do? You know, what 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 is the best way for me to survive? Right. Mm-hmm. Generally, you, you, you can't outrun a bullet. OK. If, if you Trayvon Martin and, and this creepy white man is following you around walking behind you at night. What what do you do? So what what I, what so what I'm saying is that we should be working we should be going working these things out in our minds. We should we should be having these discussions with our children, particularly our teenage children. And so so that if something happens, then the idea will already be planted in their mind is that okay, this is how I want to react. Now now you can't you you can't pre-plan every scenario, okay, but you can pre-plan a lot of them. You can say, okay, if this happens, then this this is this this is the kind of action I'm going to take. This because we got we got our lives are valuable. We have to be thinking in terms of uh, how do we survive, how do we defend this this precious life that has been given to us that has value. 
because we got to be able to do that first. So everybody needs to be pre-planning, thinking about these scenarios. What happens? Road rage. What happens? You know, if the guy pulls up beside me and starts cursing, do, wait, it's a waste of energy to start cursing him back. And then he pulls into a parking lot, and you pull into a parking lot and get out to confront him, arguing, no, 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 no. Don't be thinking about how do I survive. Self-preservation, self-defense. And self-defense is strategic. It's physical and mental. Okay? Well spoken. This has been another edition of the African Liberation Media Podcast. Once again, you can always tune into our podcast on our website, AfricanLiberationMedia.com, where you can find all of our episodes. We have over 90 episodes on AfricanLiberationMedia.com. And you can also listen to us when you're on the go on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and you can also catch us on social media at Africa Liberation Media on both Facebook, Instagram, etc. A BB for Hodier. BB for Hodier. Power or the lack of power. I want to repeat this. Power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not jobs, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. You are buying your houses and fine clothes, does not represent power either. If it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world. <laughs>